seated. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, it is so good to be in your presence. And Lord, we are um, here not just to get information, Lord. We're here for transformation. So Father, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, move in our hearts and minds. Tear down any barrier that might be there. Your word is true, and we want that truth in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, we want to be changed and transformed as a result of meeting with you here today. So change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're beginning a new series in 1 John, and we're going to use five weeks as we go through. It's in our lectionary, it's in our reading, and I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to take a look at the epistle and take a look at what John's writing is about. And John, he's basically asking a question or proposing a question or solidifying um, the faith of what they believe as the church. And he's writing this letter to the church. And the question he's asking is, do I truly know God? And it's a question maybe once in a while we need to pause and say, well, do I truly know God? What does that mean? Why is that question being proposed? And John's going to emphasize through 1 John. It's a short book. It's an easy read. I encourage you to start reading through it. Read through it each week. Take you about eight minutes, maybe less. And make it a discipline to begin to get that word in your heart. But there's this emphasis of life and truth and love and importance of fellowship. And we know John is, the, is, is an apostle, and he's the author of five books throughout the New Testament. The first one we all know, right, is the Gospel of John that we're familiar with. Then we have his epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then we have the book of Revelation. Now, I've got a little quiz for you. Who wrote the most in the New Testament? Paul. Everyone says Paul. Paul. Paul wrote the most books in the New Testament. Luke wrote the most words in the New Testament. If you take Luke's gospel and you take the book of Acts, he outworded Paul. <laughs> Paul outbooked him, but he outworded Paul. And John comes in a smooth third, takes the bronze. John is known as the youngest disciple. He was a young man, teenager possibly at the time he began to follow Jesus. And uh, he is the brother to James, and, and James and John were called the sons of what? Thunder. Sounds like a fun group to be around, right? The sons of thunder. And John is the only apostle to live to an old age. The rest of the apostles were martyred. John was one of the three that Jesus brought close to him. You have Peter, James, and... And the epistle or the letters of John were written around 90 A.D. So when Jesus was crucified and ascended to the Father, around 30 years old or so he was, this is 50 years post-ascension. So this is 50 years later. Matter of fact, what the theologians say is that probably most of John's writing was at an old age. That, that he sat at once and and probably in his 80s, and began to write the gospel. You know, prior to that, it was just continued storytelling, that it was passed on, and it was shared over and over and over again. But he was at an older age when he would have written these books. He was at an older age, around 90 AD, 
where he began to address the church in this letter, in this epistle. John is this old man, and he's addressing the new covenant church, and the church has been growing and going through its difficulties for 50 years now. The rest of the apostles have been martyred, and there's John now addressing the church. And when he writes to the church, he's writing to them about an increasing threat of false teaching and a reassurance of Christians of their faith and their love in Jesus Christ. He's writing this message. And the false teachers that at the time was a teaching known as Gnosticism. Not something probably we're very familiar with. But John is addressing a false teaching that's happening in the church. And it comes from this Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And basically what it means is that they believed they were a people who acquired this secret knowledge. That it was only given to them, to this small group. That they had the inside scoop. They had a special knowledge that no one else had. And it began to divide the church from the truth. And they believed that although that Christ appeared to be human, his humanity was merely this illusion. Although a Christ appeared to be crucified, he didn't really die. Now that gnosis or that Gnosticism, that, that secret knowledge, would be very familiar in today's New Age movement. We have this, this information the rest of you don't have. So here's John having to write to the church about this heresy. A heresy that's rejecting the very incarnation of Jesus Christ. That he was fully God and he was fully man. And what we know is the Lord uses the material things to convey the what? Spiritual. That Jesus gives us these sacraments or a sacramental understanding of our faith. Augustine of Hippo said a sacrament is an outward sign of what? An inward grace. And we practice these sacraments. We have baptism where there's water used, welcoming the child into the covenant. We have the Eucharist that we come to celebrate, and there's bread, and there's wine, and by a mystery it's converted, it's changed, it's transformed into the body, blood of Christ, and it's still bread and wine. Don't ask me how, it's a mystery. Confirmation, where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes upon those being confirmed. In confession, where we come before a priest and we confess our sins for absolution. In the anointing of the sick, in holy matrimony, in holy orders. These are all these signs, these symbols, these sacraments that, that take place. And when we look at those things, we have to recognize that the sacrament requires fellowship. That that very sacrament is not something that we do for ourselves. It's something that we do in community. That we come together in community as we practice this sacrament. That, that outward sign for that inward grace that we're called together. And it is required to be in fellowship and it's using the material. See, Gnosticism was saying that matter is, is, is irrelevant which could justify why you could sin. But only the spirit was important. Jesus is saying, matter matters. The matter matters. And, and John is not only reminding the church of the truth of the gospel, but he's also declaring that he's saying, listen, these things are important that you know this truth. And what he's saying was, I was a witness. And in 1 John 1.1, he says this. This is his introduction to the church. This which was from the beginning, from the start, 
From Genesis in the beginning. From John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God. In the beginning. And he says, which we have heard. I was the witness. He was a witness. Which we have seen with our own eyes. Which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. That John witnessed first hand everything being said about Jesus, the word of life. That he witnessed all these things. He says, I was there. I'm the witness. The oldest living apostle. As an old man, I was there. He says, I was there when Jesus reached out his hand to Jairus' 12-year-old daughter who laid lifeless and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. He says, I saw that with my own eyes. When Jesus took the five loaves and the three fish and, and he said, he multiplied them and fed the 5,000. I watched the lame walk. I saw the deaf hear. I watched as the blind received sight. I witnessed him cast out demons. I witnessed the glorification of Jesus at the transfiguration and the agony at Gethsemane. I put my head on his chest at the Last Supper and I heard the heartbeat of God. He says, I was there. I was a witness. So as a witness, I can tell you the truth because I was there. I stood at the foot of the cross as Jesus died. I ran to the tomb when it was empty and I beat Peter along the way. I was there when he ascended to the Father. John opens first John. He reminds the church, I'm a witness. I was there. I saw all these things. John says, I've seen, I've heard, and I've touched. And he's saying the word of life is true. Amen. That which I've seen, that which I've heard, I share with you. And he says, you too can have fellowship with us, fellowship with him. That you could come and know this. The one who gives us an eternal life. And he says, and then you do that, your joy may be full in knowing that. And how many of us want the fullness of joy? Yeah, you're all supposed to raise your hand. Sorry. There we go. All right. Yeah, I'll take that, please. Whenever the priest offers up something for free, say yes. Just take that. Yeah, I'll have some of that. The fullness of joy and how important that is. But you know what? We're confused between happiness and joy. We, we don't understand the difference because often in the world, we're seeking happiness. And what we've discovered, particularly in the sacrament of holy matrimony, and you're married and you have a spouse, there's nothing you're ever going to do to fully make them happy. We've tried. We've failed. And we want to bring this happiness into their life. And there's this external thing that we're looking for to fill the void that's within us. How can that make me happy? I'll give you a for instance. During the pandemic, many of us have increased our Amazon purchases. I know you're laughing, but you got stuff in your cart right now. And you're like, ah, I might buy this. I'm waiting. Let me see. And the thing's terrible because it's like, hey, man, you got something in your cart. Didn't you want to buy this? And I think we're going to get to the point where it's like we hit, yeah, purchase, and you're going to hear, it's here. 
is that fast? And the idea is that somehow that, that's going to fill some kind of happiness in my life and, and make something better. But it's temporal. See, happiness is temporal. Joy is eternal. And that's what he wants to give us, is this, this eternal joy that we could participate in and, and that we're not wrapped up in trying to fill that that void of happiness. But John's saying, listen, if you know the word of life, if you know this truth, and I'm telling you, I was there, you too can have fellowship with him and fellowship with one another and receive the fullness of joy right now. You can receive that and you can have that in your life. And he goes on in 1 John 1, 5-6. This is the message which... We have heard from him, and I declare to you. When John writes, this is the message, guess what? This is the message. It means pay attention. Right now, I'm going to tell you what he said. And he's telling them, which, which I heard from him, and I declare to you because he was there, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. That he cuts a clear line that you have to understand this truth. And the scary thing is, depending on the poll you read, it says today that 70 to 80% of people in America believe in God. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Wow, great, that's awesome. But that's based on a simple yes or no question. When people are pressed a little bit further, that number drops dramatically because we cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with him. When you start challenging those questions of truth and who he is, so you're going, well, wait a minute. I have a God in my own version. Maybe the God I believe in isn't the same God that you believe in. And then we can go, well, maybe you're in a lot of trouble unless you figure that out. John says this is the message. We have to hear this is the message. God is is light, and we are called to walk in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light? It sounds cool, but how do I do it? What does that mean? What does it mean for me to walk in the light? To walk in the light, it's to walk in fellowship with God and with one another. That's what it means. That's what John, John's big on that, by the way. He's big on the one another. Matter of fact, it's written that um, in early writings with John would, would, would go and speak to these home churches as the church was growing, as the church was taking place. And uh, they would have John come to speak to this group of people. And they would be freaking out. They'd be like, oh, John's coming. How awesome is this? He was an early apostle. He's the last living apostle. He was one of the 12 Matter of fact, he was in the inner circle of the three. And John's going to come and he's going to speak to the church. How exciting is that? I wish I could say, like, next week and at Intercessor, John's coming. Be like, what? Next week? Are you kidding me? And be like tents outside and people waiting. Like, John's got something to say, man. He walked with Jesus. He lived to an older age. He's going to share something at the church. I can't wait to be there. Although I wish the church was like that now just to come and meet with Christ. That same anticipation. So they would gather. They would be excited. John's coming. This is unbelievable. This is so awesome. I can't wait. He's going to teach us unlike anyone ever taught. He was there. And he would come and it said it was his time to speak. And he would speak. 
And this is what he would say. He would say, love one another. And then he'd leave. It's like, what? <laughs> we sold tickets. We packed the place out. We had this thing going. You know, this was going to be incredible. It was going to be off the hook, man. We had our live stream was going, and everyone was ready to watch. What do you mean? Because John believed if we got that right, everything else would fall into place. If we really understood, and that's why he's talking about fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. See, because that's where his light comes. And then it's his light that extinguishes our darkness. It's not my light. It's his light. It's his cross that takes away my sin. He goes on in verse 8 through 10 of John chapter 1, 1 John. And he says this. He says, so if we say that we have no sin, we what, church? We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not true in us. Wouldn't you think if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, that the enemy would want you to believe that you have no sin? Or we can justify sin. We can make up what we think sin is contrary to what the truth is. And then we get further away and we wonder why as a culture we're struggling. Well, because we've gotten away from the truth. We wonder why in a culture where we're struggling is because we just don't confess those things which we've done. Somehow we think, man, let me just press that deep down inside. We'll never talk about it again. I don't have to deal with it. Here's what you need to know. God already knows. You're not hiding something. I'm deceiving myself. And then the truth is not in me. Matter of fact, I'm calling him a liar. And I have to recognize I want that truth in me. You know, Peter, what we read in Acts chapter um, 3, verse 12 today, it's one of those verses where all of a sudden, uh, this is post-Pentecost, and the Spirit has fell upon the disciples, and Peter and James are on their way to worship the temple, liturgy. They're, they're there to go for a time of prayer, and there's a lame man at the side of the beautiful gate. And Peter walks up, and he cries out for begging to, to, to meet his needs for the days. And Peter says, silver and gold I have not, but what I can't say, get up and walk. Man leaps up, was never able to walk his whole life. He's healed. This conversion takes place, or the, this healing takes place, and the place goes crazy. The temple goes crazy. The guy who sat at that gate all these years is healed. Did you hear about this? And it starts this stirring of curiosity and seeking what took place. And Peter's like primed up, man. I wish I see that healing. Now he's like, well, I'm going to preach the gospel and they're going to hear this good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to share this good news with them. And, 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 and it'll have the impact that they need, that they would understand. And he comes before them and he says this, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, when we live that confessed life, we live a refreshed life. 
It's no longer these things in darkness that we've hold back or the enemy has continued to deceive us with because we recognize what Jesus has done for us in our life, that we, we understand the importance of that confession. We understand that he was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, that what he's done for us was to be reconciled back to the Father, that he was that pathway and the only way, fully God and fully man, so he could restore and redeem all of humanity. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a hologram. It wasn't some secret knowledge that we had or understanding. John said it was a truth, and this is the way to that truth, that you're to have fellowship with one another. You're to have fellowship with God, and that's where you find that light. And when that light comes into your life, where you live a confessed life, he comes and he extinguishes that darkness. He transforms us and he changes us. And the more we try to justify our sins, the further we get from God. The more we try to justify those things, the further we get from God. The more we confess our sins, the closer we grow in the love of God. It's the love of God that transforms us. It's the love of God I allow into my life that helps me shine brighter and walk in his light. John reminds us that true believers walk in light and cannot remain in darkness because the Son lives in us and he purifies us from all our sins. God is light and he is faithful and he is just to cleanse us from sin and unrighteousness when we confess. And the only way out of darkness, the only way out of darkness is to step into the light. The way of a Christian life is to walk in the light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would teach us how to meet you in that very place that we could walk in the fullness of that light, that fellowship with you, that fellowship with one another. And as John declared that he was there, Lord, that, that, that we would hear and see and touch who you are as you're made present in our life. Holy Spirit, I would ask that you draw us closer to you even now, even in this moment, to a deeper understanding of your love, a deeper understanding of the love you have for us. Now, none of this would make sense if we don't have first that fellowship with him. And he invites us to that fellowship. That's why he went to the cross that he made a way for us. That's why Peter prepared those who saw the miraculous happen, that look, you've got to come and turn from what you've rejected. If you rejected the light, you rejected the truth, the only way to the Father is through the Son. So you have to turn, confess, and come, and now walk in this light. And Jesus makes an invitation. What we have to do is receive it. So if you're here and watching online or here for the first time, and you haven't asked the Lord in your life that way, I'll tell you right now, it's a prayer that will transform your life as a result of allowing him to be the light in your life. Or maybe you're here and you just need to renew that walk. Renew that very thing that he's calling you to do in that relationship he's called you to. So I want to pray with you. And if you want to pray with me, you could just pray these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in, take control of my life, and make me the person that you want me to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now here's what you need to know. 
the most important thing you can do if you've prayed that, whether you're renewing your relationship or for the first time you say, I prayed to ask the Lord in my life to be that light. You got to tell someone about it. The Christian walk is what we walk in fellowship, not in autonomy. And we want to come alongside you on that pathway of discipleship. So let us know if you're online. If you're here in person on your way out, just let one of the hosts know. Say, hey, I prayed that prayer so we can begin to help you to find God's perfect purpose and plan that he has for your life. Amen? Peace of the Lord be with you. Acknowledge one another, sign of God's peace. <laughs>